Well, good morning, CLC. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, I love y'all. How many of y'all got to go get some breakfast this morning? How many of y'all sold some muffins and brought here for everybody else? One person back there. I got a bunch of them, Pastor, if y'all want them. Well, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And um, how many of you all have just uh, enjoyed this series called The Thread? And we've been walking through the scriptures really for the last like 14 weeks. Yes, it's unbelievable. And I'm excited today. We're going to be in the book of Acts. And before we kind of get there, I just want to take a moment and just tell you as a church how proud I am and we are of you. I know our church has gone through a lot and we've had people in our family or family members in our church that have gone through some devastating times. But what I've seen the last couple of weeks is CLC, not just... Uh, just being church, we are acting like the church, the way we have loved one another, looked out for another, cared for our community. I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of that. And, and in that, God begins to open doors. Through that, we've had, we've been, uh, Glenn Stanton and I, we got to be with uh, Butler High School, Vandalia Butler High School this week. Uh, we got to hang out there and uh, welcome to, to invite uh, students and teachers in that needed counseling and processing and stuff. And, and really had the permission to pray with them, share faith with them. We set up a hotline for them that they can call throughout the year if they need help or they just want to talk or someone to pray with and the school has welcomed that. And what is amazing is when God opens doors like that, lives are changed and transformed. And I believe that happens because CLC, you are being the church and that is being an impact into our community. So I just want to say thank you so much for that. That is huge. Yes. And uh, we had a team that went over this week and or yesterday and painted their offices for them and we're praying for them. But man, when the church acts like the church in ways that the world doesn't expect, God shows up and does miraculous things. Amen. And uh, so this morning we're in the book of Acts and and if you remember, when we started this journey called The Thread, uh, Pastor Stan was very intentional in telling us that, especially in the Old Testament, to look forward to Jesus. And in the patriarchs in the Old Testament, he was teaching us to look forward to Jesus. And then two weeks ago, we made a turn into the New Testament. We talked through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in that moment, they wasn't looking forward to Jesus. They were looking to Jesus for answers as they were facing and then, uh, and then last week we were in Mark and Luke, and then we are bypassing or skipping the book of John in this series, because if you remember last summer, we did a best friend series and did the whole summer. We walked through the book of John. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. It's a powerful, powerful series on the book of John. And today we're starting kind of a new turn of the page, uh, so to speak, in this, in this series as we open the book of Acts. And the Acts uh, really is the actions of the church after Jesus ascends to the Father. And so in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah coming. In the Gospels, they were looking to Jesus. And now, and from the moment of Acts until today, we are eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's our great hope. And so the book of Acts is, um, and I wish I had six months to break this down for you, but it was written by the uh, Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And Luke, a physician, writes the story of Jesus and the, and the disciples in, in the Gospel of Luke. And he continues on by telling us what happens in the first century church. He gives us a real breakdown. And here's the truth. If you were to read the, the teachings of Luke in the Gospel of Luke, he would describe the disciples in one way, and in the book of Acts, we will see them in a whole new light. In the book of uh, Luke and in throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples as really the most dysfunctional church that ever existed. 
They had 12 guys, and all of them had issues. They were all jacked up. You had a guy named Judas, and he was stealing money from Jesus and from the group. You had, you had Peter, and Peter just had a bad attitude. I don't know about you, but I sometimes can relate to Peter. He was cussing out little girls. I mean, I don't relate to that part, but um, he was cussing out little girls. He had a bad attitude. He, he had a sword, and he cut off the guy, tried to cut off his head, and ended up cutting off his ear, and Jesus is picking up the pieces, literally, and putting them back on. Um, you had James and John. They're arguing for position. Thomas is doubting Bartholomew. No one knows anything about him because he wasn't pursuing. There was just a lot of issues. And Jesus says, you guys are going to build my church. You're going to be the instruments I will use. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of hope about me. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and go, there's even hope for you. And so he picks this group. And not only does he just say it in words, he actually says it in such a way that's so profound. So before we get to the book of Acts, I just want to, I want to show you how much Jesus believes in this group. And he's not just saying it to them, but he's saying it ultimately to us. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, listen to what Jesus says to this, to this group. Now he's saying this right after Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He says that in this moment, and Jesus says, that's correct, that was revealed to you by my Father. And listen to what he says. He says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now let's pause. How many of you have a job where you're not allowed to have the keys to the building? Come on, be honest, raise your hand. How many have a job and they don't give you the keys to wherever you work? How many of you have to call somebody to open a door for you at your job? What that means is they don't trust you, and they got to call somebody they trust with keys to open the door for you. Now, I just lose keys all the time. I don't really have a key around here. That's why everywhere I go, I got to help somebody. Can you help me get in and out? Matter of fact, I have a key to my car, and if you want, it's one of those ones where you have to push the button. If you want to steal my car, just know it always has the key in it, because <laughs> I will just forget my keys uh, everywhere I go. But the keys mean something of value and importance. The keys saying, I give you full authority to bring in whoever you want to bring in, to keep out whoever you want to keep out. I am giving you the keys, not to a car, not to your workplace, to heaven. And he says, I'm giving it to you guys. And he's ultimately saying, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the kings to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what he is really saying is this. What you do with your life matters. Your life is the key that will open the doors of heaven or shut the doors of heaven for other people to experience me and my grace for them. Your life is the access for people to experience heaven. And then he says to them, but one thing I need you to do. He says, before you use these keys, before you do anything, I'm going to ascend to my father and I need you to wait here. I need you to wait. I need you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon your life before you start doing anything with the keys. What he's saying is, I'm believing in you, but I'm not trusting you until the Holy Spirit endues you with power to be my witness. 
Do nothing until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Meaning this, Peter, I saw how you acted just not a short time ago. Matter of fact, you just are going to deny me in just a few days. But I know that your life is going to be transformational. And so that takes us into the book of Acts. And if I had six months to break it down, it still wouldn't be enough. But here's a basic overview of the book of Acts for us today. The book of Acts, written by Luke, first of all, talks about the birth of the church. We'll talk about that in just a moment. This is uh, the, the beginning of what Jesus said that he would build through our lives. And then it goes in to talk about the empowerment of the church. The church begins to grow. That a, that, a, that a church that is following Jesus should be a growing church. That's why we say it like this. I never want to be a part of a church where they go, well, I just know everybody and it's just the perfect size for me. I like a small church where I know everybody and everybody, hey, knows me. What you're really saying is I don't care if everybody else goes to hell as long as I know everybody around me. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm going to get deep. So just go ahead and get, just get prepared. What it's saying is the church should be a growing church. And then it goes from the empowerment of the church to the church being persecuted. We'll talk a little bit about that today. And then it goes on to really talk about the salvation of a guy named Saul, which we'll get into. And the first half of Acts is about the ministry of Peter. And the last half of the book of Acts is about the ministry and the planning of the churches through a guy named Saul becomes Paul and his ministry that transformed the world that we even are impacted by today. But it all begins and it all starts with simply this, Jesus preparing the church. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter one. And if you've been around CLC, you'll know this is the center of who we are, the heartbeat of the vision that Pastor, or Pastor Stan was given by God of who we will be as a church. So in Acts chapter one, verse six, we pick it up. The, Luke writes this. So when they had come together, the Lord asked them, or they asked him, Lord, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Let's pause a little time out. Do you remember that throughout the Gospels, the disciples really had one focus? It was all about them. Lord, are you going to do this now for us? Are you going to give us power now? Are you going to give us influence? Lord, is now the time you're going to give us everything we want? And Jesus says, no, now is not the time. And if you remember, remember Jesus says, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified, beaten and for your sins. I'm going to hang on a cross. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. And literally James and John go, okay, Jesus, that's great. But let me ask you a question. Can we be in charge? And so now Jesus is telling, Jesus ascends, going about to ascend to the Father. He was dead. He rises from the dead. He appears to over 500 people. And he says to these, there with him, and they said, Lord, is now the time that we're in charge? And he said to them, it is not to know, for you to know the time of the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. Somebody say power. power. Say it like you mean it, power. power. Say it like you got some power. power. That's what we're going to talk about today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Meaning now your great hope is he's returning, but here's what these, these two men in robes sent from God to tell them and to tell us. Stop looking just to Jesus' return and be about your father's business. It's time to get busy, church. Because our great hope is that Jesus is returning for his church. But the question is, what will the church do until Jesus returns? He's saying, don't get comfortable. Don't look up, look out. That it's time that the church began to get busy. And at CLC, the, our mission is directly taken from this. Let's go through our mission together. So if you've been here for a while, you should know it. I won't test you. We'll do it together. But say this with me. Our mission is to know God, to be his people, value others, and change our world. To know God, to be his people, to value just a few. Some of y'all were like, wait. So we should just value a few. No, we value everyone. We value others so that we can what? Change our world. That's who we are at CLC. That, that God is positioning us to be his church. But here's what I want us to know. It's when you don't know Jesus, when you are far from Jesus, it was all about you. Jesus reaching you, Jesus dying for you, Jesus loving you. But when we become believers, can I just tell you something? It is no longer about you. Some of y'all went, well, hold on. It's not about us. It's not about us being comfortable. It is about our lives being used by him. And to do so, the Bible says he will give us the power of his spirit. He's preparing us to say it's time to get busy, that people are going to hell, that there has to be something different about us. That we have to be people that are people of his spirit. That we have to be people that are focused on advancing the gospel. See, for, for three years, Jesus is with the disciples, and, and, and he's teaching them something so contrary to what they had known or ultimately what we know. See, Jesus, I told Pastor I want to do a series for us at some point called The Contradictions in the Scripture. And so some of you went, what? No, there are no theological contradictions in the Bible whatsoever. But Jesus himself was the contradiction to what the whole world knew. Because Jesus was teaching these men something that he's teaching us, stuff like, love your enemy. Come on. How many of y'all like that one? You liar, you don't like that. Pray for those who persecute you. Some of y'all thought it said tweet about those who persecute you. <laughs> Come on. When someone strikes your right cheek, give them your left cheek. Give them the other cheek. How many of y'all like that one? Come on. How about when someone asks you to go a mile, you go two miles. When someone, man, that God is always, how about love your neighbor as yourself? Come on, Jesus Love each other. Ooh. Not tolerate each other. Love each other in the church. How? As I have loved you. 
How many think that's a contradiction to everything your flesh wants to do? And Jesus says, for three years, that's what I've taught you guys. Now it's time through power that you begin to live this out. So he's preparing the church. He's preparing them for something big. He's preparing them for something that matters. He's preparing the church. But after he prepares the church, listen to me. Jesus empowers the church. Jesus empowers the church. And that's where I want to focus most of our attention today. So in Acts chapter 2, let's, let's go through this together. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Luke writes this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Let's pause here. They were together in unity. If you want to see God move in mighty ways in your life, in our church, in our family, there has to be a place where we come together in unity. There's a place where we come together expecting God to do something. If we want to see the fullness of God, it cannot be about you. It cannot be about me. It's that we come together in unity and they were together in one place. And it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now let me just pause before we get in this next part again. How many of you go, I want everything God has for me? Some of you are not raising your hand. Like you go, no, I don't really want all that. How many of you would say, and let's be honest, let's, let's participate here. The more you participate, the quicker I'll go. How many of you would say, I want everything God has for me? Okay, some of you are still relying to me. Let's hold your hands up, keep your hands up. Now, how many of the rest of you would say, I want everything God has for me? There it is. But everything God has for us does not always make sense to our mind. See, here's what I want us to know. I'm not looking for a church that is trying to make me comfortable, that gives me a good TED Talk about Jesus, three songs, and I'll see you next week. I want to be and experience the fullness and the power of what God wants to do because I still believe that we serve a God who can heal broken bodies, that he can heal disease, he can restore lives, he can raise the, the dead to life. I believe there's a God who saves and redeems and restores. I want a God that is with me and power and the fullness of all that he has. And the disciples are there in one accord. And they're anticipating, God, what are you going to do? God, what are you going to do? And it says the whole house was filled and divided, and divided tongues as fire appeared on each of them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled, how many? Hmm. With the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what we would refer to in our theology as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to know is there is a fullness of the Holy Spirit that I want to talk about for the next few moments. That there's a fullness that God has for us that is an empower and an endowment of his power that God wants to pour into our life. That, that we serve a God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when we come to faith in Christ, dwells within us. 
But the Bible also talks about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, an overflow. So let me just show you the best I can, as simple as I can. When you were far from God, when you were not saved, and you gave your life to Jesus, that was a personal, inward experience where Jesus saved your soul. He saved your life. When I got saved, he didn't save my whole family. I was saved. That was an, that was an intimate, internal experience. So the Bible says that when we are saved, that's an internal experience, but then the next command is to be baptized in what? Water. That when we go under and we come out, it is an outward expression, a public declaration of what God had done on the inside. Therefore, it takes what God had done on the inside and it makes it public to the outside. That's why if you've not been baptized, listen to me. I'm encouraging you. Let's sign up for, for baptism in two weeks on our Labor Day picnic. It's going to be unbelievable to get baptized in water. It's literally saying I'm declaring in my faith. My son, my 12-year-old son is going to get baptized that day. I'm going to baptize him. I want, I want as many people to be baptized with him. Come on, yes. And he weighs like 77 pounds, so I'm going to body slam him in that water. I'm going to baptize him so hard and so much, his mama's going to go, please stop baptizing him. I'm coming for you, son. I'm kidding. It's a big deal. So the baptism, what? Is an outward expression, an outward declaration to others of what Jesus done on the inside. Y'all following me? The same way when we come to faith, the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. And when the Holy Spirit dwells within that believer, guess what he does? He brings conviction. How many of y'all, when you got saved, you realized there were some things I used to do that I probably shouldn't do anymore? There were some things that came to your mind you became aware of. He leads you. He renews your mind. He changes your heart. Some of y'all got saved and went, man, we should probably go to church. You never said that in your life. You never woke up and went, you know, I should probably go to church today. You got saved and all of a sudden you're going, let's go to church. Let's pray, let's sing, let's worship. There's a renewing of your mind that comes from the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says, so it's an internal dwelling place the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But then, and this is what Jesus told them to wait for, then there was an outpouring of baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was an outward expression of what God was doing on the inside. And that's what they're experiencing in Acts chapter 2. There's a power, there's an endowment of power that the Holy Spirit pours inside of you that overflows. It gives us our prayer language. It's a praying in tongues. There's, we believe in the full gifts of the Spirit here at CLC. But it's not for God to show off. It's for God to empower you to be what? His witness. To build his church because the mission, the purpose of our life when we come to Christ is to make Jesus known to all the world. It's to share the love of God. You go, but I don't know, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be trying to tell people about my faith. Here's the thing. The Bible says you are called to be a witness to God. So to be a witness is something you've had to experience. And some of you are going, well, I wasn't alive when Jesus died. Some of you are going, I'm, I mean, I'm old enough to be. <laughs> I didn't see his resurrection. What can I be an eyewitness to? 
And this is where the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the power to do what the Bible says we do in in coming in Christ. There's two things that we have to overcome. We overcome by the blood of the lamb, meaning Jesus sacrificed for our sins. How many of y'all thankful that he died for your sins? By the way, first service, they tore the roof off this place. They're all making y'all are my people and they're making y'all look bad here. How many of y'all thankful that Jesus died for your sins? Oh, I'll beg for clapping. There ain't no doubt about it. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, our story. So we are an eyewitness to what Jesus has done in our life. And your story, your life is the key that will unlock heaven for other people. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't save you so that you could argue theology with each other. And we have to have good theology. Jesus didn't save you so you could go out and tell the world they're all going to hell. When I say share your faith, please don't put on a sign, get a bullhorn and stand on the corner. Please, please. Or if you do, just tell me you go to First Baptist Church of Dayton. <laughs> Sorry, First Baptist Church. No, when we come to Christ, we have a new mission for our life. It's to share the story of our life, what Jesus did in you. It cannot be argued with that Jesus changes and transforms your life. And that your story is the key to unlocking what God is doing in other people's lives. And everything that he's been teaching us in the gospels, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute, those who are far from God, that we walk in love to see people come to Jesus. But to do that, we need the power of his Holy Spirit. We need the power and the anointing of his Holy Spirit. That he would change and transform our heart and our lives. And so Jesus empowers the church. And so here's what happens. He empowers the church. And in this moment, in Acts chapter 2, there's a guy named Peter. Remember we just talked about Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter runs for his life. Peter's ready to walk away from the faith because Jesus dies. And now just a short time later, this moment happens at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls on all 120 that were in that room, waiting, waiting, waiting. What do I do with my life? The Holy Spirit falls. They're endued with power. Peter stands up. The one who was a weenie is now standing up, and he's going to preach to those who are trying to kill him. And he gets up and he shares what Jesus had done in his life. He shares who Jesus of Nazareth was, that he was the Messiah, that they killed him and he rose from the dead and he came to save them. And the one who had no courage or boldness, now full of the Spirit, has courage and boldness. And the Bible says that 3,000 people that day were saved. Come on, how good is that? And not only that, that every day, say every day, Every day the church grew. People were getting saved every day, every day, every day because people were walking in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the church began to grow. But here's what happened. It began to grow. And what happens even today happened then. The church got comfortable. Because remember what the mandate was. You'll be received, you'll be endued with power to be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to where? throughout the world. The problem was it stopped in Jerusalem. And every day the church was growing, they were loving each other, caring for one another, carrying each other one's burdens. 
but it wasn't growing outside of Jerusalem because somewhere along the way they got comfortable. The church got comfortable. People of faith got comfortable. And all of a sudden it stopped being about what God is going to do through me to what is God going to give me. And so they stopped growing, and all of a sudden, what the enemy meant for harm, God took and used for good. And so to see Jesus' prophecy fulfilled that the church would go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the world, to Dayton, Ohio. In Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to this man named Saul. Saul has full authority from the priest to persecute this movement known as Christianity and followers of Jesus. And the church is persecuted and it is scattered. The church is persecuted and scattered. Now listen to me. When I say persecuted, I didn't mean they said some mean stuff about you on Facebook. I don't mean the election didn't go your way. What I mean is people were being killed and martyred for their faith. To say they believed in Jesus, they would be killed and persecuted immediately. And the one who was in charge of persecuting and killing the church was a man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul was the most feared man among the church. And they were coming after believers, but remember... Now the believers are not functioning in their flesh. They're functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Saul comes and he finds a man named Stephen. Stephen is the first man martyr, martyred in the scriptures. Stephen, because the church was growing so much, the church began to grow and the disciples said, we can't even care for people the way we need to. So it says they found men and women full of the Holy Spirit and appointed them and equipped them to do the works of the ministry. That's why, if I can take a pause moment here, that's why it's so important that we're asking you to be a part of our, our Forever Family Foster Care Training uh, Day that we have here next week. Because let me just say something, church. We can't pray that God would overturn Roe v. Wade but not be willing to step up for the kids that need families and homes. If we're gonna, if we're gonna pray like the church, we have to be the church. We're gonna have to pray for moms and women that feel like hope was taken. We didn't win. It wasn't us against them, but we got to step into the need to care for the children that God puts forth. And so that's what's happening in the church. And so Stephen is one of those people that is serving food to the orphans and the widows. And the Bible says, but he was a man full of the Spirit. Never minimize the, pos the place and the position God has you in, because when you're full of the Spirit, you can change everything. Stephen's there, and they begin to attack him and persecute him. A crowd comes around him. They tell him to renounce his faith, to deny Jesus, and he won't do it. The Bible says that under the direction of Saul, they begin to stone him. Not tweet about him. Not be mean to him. Not hurt his feelings. He wasn't worried about his liberties. He was losing his life. And I'm not mocking any of those other things, but I'm telling you, when I talk about persecution, the Church of America, we do not understand persecution. So we got to stop being victims and understand we are victorious with a great mantle from God to proclaim the gospel and go into all the world. 
And Stephen, in this moment, he's being stoned, but remember the contradiction that Jesus was to everybody. He doesn't now try to fight back. He simply looks up into heaven and he says this, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he gave up his life. And he was the first man martyred for his faith. And by the way, every single day around the world, people are killed for their faith. And the question isn't, will you be killed for your faith? Will you live for your faith? And he's killed for his faith in that moment, but the one who was there in the crowd that heard him was a man named Saul from Tarsus. That prayer had such an impact on Saul. And the church is persecuted. Listen to what happens. Listen to the heart that Saul has before the Paul has before this moment. It says in Saul, Acts 8, 1 through 3, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church and Jerusalem. What are we going to do when the world fights us? What are we going to do when the world fights us? Not if they fight us, when they fight us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. He did not promise you a life of of blessing and wealth and that everything would go perfect if you come to Jesus. That's some stuff that you hear on TV that is not in the scriptures. When you come to Jesus, it will cost you everything. Come on, somebody. But it's what Jesus gave for you, everything, so that you could have life and life more abundantly. And it says that in this moment, they were being persecuted. What will we do when the world comes against us? Will we fight them in flesh? Or will we realize that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? That the people that are far from God are not our enemy. They're our mission. They're our purpose. They're our heartbeat. That the people that do not know Jesus are the reason we are still here today. And it's not to beat them because our fight is bigger. It's a a fight against principalities and powers. So how do I fight that? I fight it by the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All right, I'll calm down for a second. I'm not going to pass out. I'm just going to, well, I might. This is big. So Saul was there in this moment and he sees it and he's persecuting and he's killing the Christians. And listen to what it says. They were scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles who remained in Jerusalem. What the enemy thought was going to destroy the church was the catalyst that God used to fulfill his mission for the church. See, what you thought that was coming against you was going to destroy you, God just may use it as a catalyst to build something you never knew was possible. And so they attack the church in Jerusalem, they scatter. So now the church goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And what the enemy thought was the victory was ultimately victory for the church. And it says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Here's the deal, they hurt for their brother. They lamented. They loved Stephen. So it wasn't like, yippee ki Stephen's gone. 
They hurt and they anguished and they were broken for the brother Stephen. But they understood this, that the mission of the church and our hope was in eternal life. And we thought maybe this would stop Saul, but it says, but Saul was ravaging the church, ravaging the church, ravaging the church. I just want us to get this. I don't want to be the one standing in heaven one day and seeing Peter and going, Peter, can you believe it, man? There were some people mean to me on Facebook. Man, did you, could you believe they were... Can you believe that? Who was in charge? It was so hard being a Christian back then. Peter's looking at us going, what? <coughs> Have you met Saul? I mean, Paul. And Paul's going, why do we got to bring this up? Because it says this. It says that he went ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was taking the men and the women. And when it says women, it literally means and children. And he was either killing them or he was arresting them. And so the church gets to Judea and Samaria, but it stops there. How does it get to the end of the world? Because Saul, in that moment, after he's ravaging the church, he goes on a mission to Damascus. He's on the road, and he has an encounter with the living God. And the one who was killing the church will now be the one who will build the church in ways the world would never understand. He has an encounter with the living God. He sees Jesus in the flesh. He gets filled with the Spirit. And God takes Saul from Tarsus and makes him Paul, the church planner, who takes the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And it all began because Stephen, full of the Spirit, responded like Christ. He responded like Christ and the church was scattered and the one who was killing the church would be the one who builds the church. And so Paul from this moment on comes to know Jesus. And from the rest of the book of Acts, what we see, listen to me, I'm almost done. What we see in the book of Acts is this moment where Saul, becomes Paul and he begins to plant churches all over the region. He plants churches in uh, Philippi, he, in Colossae, in, in Corinth, in Ephesus. He's planting these churches we read about. And from this Sunday on, when we go through the book of the thread and we read the epistles, the church of Colossae or the church of Ephesians, we read the Ephesians, it is now Paul writing the instructions to the church that he planted around the region. Paul becomes the greatest influence for the gospel outside of Jesus in the modern history. He is the greatest soul winner the history would ever know besides Jesus because it was that he had an encounter with the living God and full of the Holy Spirit, God takes what seemed unredeemable and he transforms the world with it. And the church is planted throughout the world. And here's my question for you. What does Jesus ultimately mean to you? Because if we just think it's about us, we don't know the Jesus of Scripture. He died for you because he loved you, not as you should be, but right where you were. 
And he says to the church, I don't want you to go out and fight the world. I want you to go out and love the world and redeem the world. I want you to go to the highways and the byways and compel them to come that my house might be. That we should never rest because the purpose and mission of our life is to make the gospel and the story of our life the gateway for people to come into eternal life because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is that Jesus is returning for his church. And to see God move, we have to be people of his Holy Spirit because my flesh is not strong enough to act and respond like Jesus. I want the fullness of everything God has for me. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit because God the Holy Spirit is alive and he's moving and he's revealing Jesus through us. But here's the truth. And if I could just be honest, most of us are cup. Easily gets dried up. Instead of our cup overflowing and the move and the baptism and the power of the Spirit, it becomes self-centered into our agendas and motives that do not have eternal value. And the reason our cup dries up is because we've been fighting battles that Jesus never asked us to fight. He says it like this. Why are you fighting this battle? This battle belongs to the and what we've looked at our persecution and scatter, we thought was going to be the thing that was going to, that was going to bring us to an end. And I remember, you guys remember, sometime back I showed you my sword. It's what I used to rule in my house with. That's why my wife told me to bring it to the church and leave it here. Because I might hold the sword, but she's the one who swings it. But it was years ago, I was in Scotland and I had an opportunity to, over a, about a 10 day period, go and speak in schools and invite people to churches. And Scotland, at one point, was one of the greatest Reformation moves of God, one of the greatest revivals happened in Scotland. But over time, the Holy Spirit slowly began to be pushed out and the things of God were no longer the things of God. And in 10 days, we had traveled around the country. We would speak in schools, and then we would speak in churches that night, and we went to Assemblies of God churches all over the region. And at the end of our trip, the, the head of the Assemblies of God of Scotland came to me, and he said, Pastor, in the last 10 days, we've seen more people come to Jesus in our churches than we've seen in 10 years combined. And he said, thank you. Hold on. He said, thank you for reintroducing us to the Holy Spirit. And he said, so I want to give you this sword, this William Wallace sword. And by the way, Braveheart is the greatest movie ever made. And if you're a man who don't like the movie, I need your card today because you've lost your man card. <laughs> man, if you watch The Notebook but don't know the lines of Braveheart, I need you to sign up for a man's class today. He gave me the sword, and by the way, my favorite movie, I said, can we go to the field of Sterling? And the pastor takes me with my sword, and if you remember, I told you last time, I'd run around the field of Sterling going, freedom! And he's, he just thought, what a stupid white American. <laughs> he said, you know, most of that was made up for the movie. Well, I was disappointed to find out. I said, so Top Gun's now my favorite movie. <laughs> <Just> kidding. <laughs> 
He said, do you really want to know the power of our nation? He said, can I take you to the field of Loudsville? I was like, I'm in. Freedom. And I took my sword and we went to Loudsville. And Loudsville was the home of a man named Robert the Bruce. Remember in the movie, Robert the Bruce? Robert the Bruce, the suck up. He was the son of the king of Scotland. And he said right here on the fields of Loudsville was what restored the hope of our nation. For Robert the Bruce's dad was the king and they had been stripped of most of their, their, their weaponry and the English were coming. And it said, he said, they came from the north and the south and the east and the west. He said, we were encompassed by the enemy. Most of us didn't have swords. Most of us didn't have weapons. And he said, but what changed the heart of our enemy was this. It was the passion we had for our king. And Robert the Bruce takes off his locket that was given to him by his father, the king. And it says, as the men were coming from the east and the west and the north and the south, he said the coolest line. I don't even know fully what it meant, but it was unbelievable. He said, you could smell the meat of the men's breath. They were so close. What he was saying is there were no vegans in Scotland. <laughs> Zachary. And he said, in that moment, he took off his locket, and with all that he had, he said, men of Scotland, will you fight for the heart of your king? And it said, all the men of Scotland, in a symbolic gesture, ran into the enemy, not yielding their swords. And he said, I don't want you to have any disillusions. Many of them died. But he said, it was one young man a quarter of a mile into the enemy was found holding on to life. There it was, the locket. And he said, I fought for the heart of my king. And upon hearing that, it changed the heart of the Englishmen and it gave Scotland their freedom. See, when we fight for the heart of our king, we may run into the enemy, but it's in the pursuit for the heart of our king that will transform the people around us. The only way that we can go in to the enemy that we will face every day in our life is the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God. It's the love of Jesus. It's the move of his spirit that will change and transform our city. It will not be the fights. It will not be the arguments. It will be the love of Jesus flowing through the power of his spirit. And when you look at your cup today, is your cup overflowing with the Spirit? I want everything. I want every gift I don't understand. I want every prayer language that he has for me. I want, a, I want an, a, a new, fresh anointing of the Spirit in my life. I don't want to be a church that just has cool talks about Jesus and walks out of here unchanged. I think when we come into the house of God, we should be transformed by his power and his Spirit that we should leave here fully equipped for every good work by the power of his Spirit and the anointing of God. I don't want a cool faith. I want the power of a living God working and flowing through my life. And so when I look at my cup, is my cup overflowing? Here's what I want us to do as we close today. It's symbolic, but if you would just 
appease me for a second. I want us to hold our hands like this. Come on, just hold it like this. And I wonder today how many of us would desire Holy Spirit. Baptize me afresh and anew. Overflow in my life that my cup would overflow with the power of your spirit. I want a new touch, a new anointing in my life and my family. Would you move in a way to fill my cup, Lord, in ways that only you can, Lord. I want all that you have for me. I want you to have me. I don't want to sing a song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. I want, Lord, you to fill my life and my heart to overflowing, Lord. Holy Spirit, it's not that you're welcome in this building. It's Holy Spirit, you are welcome in my life. I wonder today if our cup is overflowing. And so we're going to do something a little different today as the band sings. I'm not going to have you close your eyes. I'm not going to prod you. I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I am going to ask you, though, if you'd be willing to get uncomfortable with me today. And as the band begins to sing, if you're saying, Lord, I want all that you have. Holy Spirit, would you pour your spirit on me afresh and anew? I'm hungry for the things of God, for a move of your spirit. Would you come and find a place at this altar and say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Would you fill this cup to overflow? Lord, I want all that you have. I'm ready for a fresh move of your spirit in my life in a way that maybe I've never even known. Or Lord, a way that I've been missing. Holy Spirit, would you move? And so... It's the band sings, we're going to open the altars, and if you would love to find a place here and say, Holy Spirit, you are welcome, we're going to open these altars up. And what I believe is this, if you would just get uncomfortable, you might find a move like you've been missing in your life. So as the band leads us, we want to open these altars for you to come today.